Today's message is week 11 in the series Return of the King in the book of 1 Thessalonians. Pastor Greg McCormick is speaking today and is covering 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 12 through 22, which will be read here by our worship pastor, Lee Hudson. Now we ask you, there, uh, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle. Encourage the timid. Help the weak. Be patient with everybody. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. But always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good and avoid every kind of evil. Mm. The word of the Lord, and everyone said? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lee. Thank you, team. You've already heard the passage of Scripture. I'm going to take forward a a topic today, having a vibrant church. What does it mean to have a vibrant church? We're going to talk about that today. Now, I've always been fascinated by insects. As a matter of fact, when I joined the military, my first career field, I studied entomology. Insects have always fascinated me. I don't know. I think sometimes it's because I like to step on them. I like the sound they make when you step on them. What really fascinates me in the insect world is the variety of species. And the one that captivates my attention the most is the ant. The ant is an amazing, amazing insect. Did you know the Bible instructs us to observe the life of the ant? The local church could learn a lot from just studying the life of the ant. And that's because the ant provides an excellent metaphor for us as a church for how the church, the local church, would look and how it would be vibrant and functioning as it should if we would just take some lessons from the ant. Proverbs 6, chapter 6, verse 1, Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, writes this. He says, consider the ant, watch its ways, and become wise. Although it has no overseer or officer or ruler, in the summertime it stores up its food, and in the wintertime it gathers up its harvest. Here's another fascinating point that Solomon makes about the ant in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 25. He says, he refers to the ant as a people. The ant has incredible interpersonal and interrelational skill. The local church would do well to take lessons from the ant. Here's the point. A vibrant local church always begins with healthy relationships. The ant. You know, ants are commonly referred to as a superorganism. One single collective body with a single focus. Hundreds of thousands, sometimes millions of ants live within this kingdom called an ant colony. Every single ant working with selflessness, total self-sacrifice. No ant ever thinks of his own. 
He always puts the needs of the colony and others first. No ant ever creates any conflict over its role or its position. There's no hierarchical structure within an ant kingdom. And each ant's role is determined by what's needed to keep the environment within the colony healthy. The vibrancy of the colony of ants is the only concern, and to, and to that end, an ant will sacrifice its own life if necessary. Within the ant colony, get this, man, these are ants. We're talking about ants, all right? Within the ant colony, there is never one single homeless ant. There's never one hungry ant. I watched video footage one time of two ants holding a drop of water and sharing a droplet of water together between them. Food and other supplies are, 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 are gathered and stored in private chambers that act as storehouses, and the resources within the colony are shared by all. Total unselfishness. Get this now. There are no rogue ants. No ant going off doing his own thing. There's no such thing as an idle or lazy ant in the entire colony. There are over 12,000 species of ants, and today I want to I talk to you just a little bit about the leafcutter ant. The leafcutter ant colony is made up of three different types of ants, the soldier ant, the queen, and the worker ant. The queen lays the eggs. That's what it does up to 30,000 eggs a day, right? The soldier ant's job is to protect the queen and protect the colony. The worker ant is fascinating because he has a lot of different functions. The worker ant within the colony forms what's called a, a labor department. Listen, they build highways, barges. They build and maintain high-tech ventilation systems within the colony that keeps the proper balance of temperature and humidity within the entire colony. They design and instruct their own garbage heaps and landfills. They have their own graveyards. Leafcutter ants are the only species besides human beings that take fresh plant matter and grow their own food from it. Interesting. Each ant comes equipped with everything that it needs to fulfill its purpose and its important role, its single important role of this superorganism within the colony. And each generation, I love this part, each generation of ant raises the next from an egg to an adult, and the result is multiple generations working together for the good of the colony. If just one function within the ant colony fails, it creates a domino effect, and the entire ecosystem within the colony fails. Millions and millions of ants, none functioning as, as individuals, but rather representatives of a single superorganism, one colony, one family, one purpose, and that is to strengthen and support the vibrancy of the colony and to advance the ant kingdom. Ants. 
I bet you there are probably only a few people on this planet that haven't heard about ants. And listen, if an ant is around you at some point, you're going to notice that they're there. What an excellent metaphor for the church. And what a great lead into our passage today as Paul is, is writing to the local church. And he instructs us that how we are to live together in such a way that the world, the world will have to take notice of us. And then just like an ant colony, when it's full and it's vibrant, the church, when it's operating the way that it should, will be healthy and full and vibrant and unmistakable. So how do we get there? What does having a vibrant church look like? I think from our packages today, Paul gives us four keys to promoting vibrancy in the local church. Everyone say amen, pastor. All right, you give me an opportunity to get something to drink. And here's the first key, family, that we support those who are in leadership. Support those who are in leadership. Let's take a look at verse 12 and 13. Paul writes, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work, and be at peace among yourselves. Paul asks here, he says, I'm asking you to respect. That word respect really means to know. He's saying, I want you to know those who do three things, who labor among you, and I want you to respect them. I want you to know those who are laboring side by side with you as leaders, and I want you to respect what they're doing in their role. And then he says, I want you to respect those who lead and care for you and watch over you that are concerned about nurturing you spiritually and physically. He says, respect those in leadership who do that. And then he says, respect those who warn you and correct you, who bring correction. You know, as a pastor, it's not easy always to bring correction. Sometimes you don't want to make that phone call. You don't want to have that, that cup of coffee. As laity, as members of the church, as part of the body of Christ, you know, sometimes you don't want to make that call. But God says that, or the Bible says that, that when we learn how to operate together with each other, when we learn to, to respect leadership, when we get that phone call, the Bible says we will respond. We should respond appropriately. And here's how. He says, esteem them, high, esteem them high because of the work they do. In other words, give the leaders of the church and of the body of Christ the respect they deserve. And watch this now. Do it in love. You know, there's, there's two ways to respect someone. There's, a, there's, there's the traditional way where you respect someone just because of the title that they hold or, or, um, or the traditional value of the role that they're in. But Paul's saying respect here is something different. He's saying respect them and do it in love. It's one thing to respect a person because of the position. It's another thing to be in relationship with them and respect them out of love through that relationship. 
He says, so support them in love. And then he says, be at peace among yourselves. Peace really is unhindered relationship. When you're at peace, there's nothing that's between you that, that stops the flow of communication. He says, be at peace with each other. Unhindered relationship between God and others. And there should always be peace between leaders and laity. I think Paul writes to us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. He says, I want you to endeavor to keep the spirit of unity in the bond of peace. When you do that, when you're operating in that type of relationship, unity promotes vibrancy within the local church. Paul says, when you respect leadership, that promotes vibrancy. You know, there's an old Indian quote that is by an old Indian Cherokee chief, and it says this, don't judge a man until you've walked a mile in his shoes. Now, you guys know I love football, right? And, uh, and, and I love listening to sports commentators on Monday after the games are over, right? And they're playing Monday morning armchair quarterback. Right. They haven't stood underneath the center. They haven't seen the blissing linebackers. But yet, now that the game is over, they can sit back and they can analyze everything that's gone on in the game. And they've not had to endure what that quarterback had to endure. Monday morning, I'm chair quarterback. You know, my father's been a pastor for about 40 years. And I remember coming up and just having an idea of how to run a church. Mm-hmm. But when I became a pastor, I was probably pastoring you all probably maybe three or four months, and I called my dad. I said, Dad, please forgive me. I had no idea what I was talking about. I have no idea what it takes to walk in your shoes as a pastor. And I'm learning every day how to do it better and better and better. But listen, the point is don't judge a leader until you've had a chance to shoulder with them and walk a mile in their shoes. Okay? And so the first key to a vibrant church is to support those in leadership. That's Paul's point. The second key is that we're to strengthen each other. Look at what he says in verse 14. He says, I urge you, brothers, to admonish the idle, to encourage the fainthearted, to help the weak, to be patient with them all. Paul uses this word here, urge, interchangeably with when he said earlier, he said, I'm asking you. As a matter of fact, if you look back at chapter 4, verse 1, he uses both urge and uh, ask in the same sentence. Because he's using them interchangeably. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm asking you. Actually, I'm strongly asking you to do these things. To first, to admonish the idol. That word admonish means to warn. And that word idol, that word idol means uh, two things. It actually has a dual meaning. The first is obvious. An idle person is a person that's lazy not doing anything, sitting by, watching the work being done, sitting on the bench and never getting in the game. 
That's one definition. But the other meaning is a person that is obstinate and insubordinate. Paul says, listen, I'm I'm encouraging you to warn that person who's sitting on the bench not doing anything. That as the body of Christ, just like the ants, need to be busy each part doing his work, get off the bench and get in the game. And then he's saying, and I'm warning those, I'm warning you to, to warn those, I'm urging you to warn those who are busybodies, just, just, just being insubordinate and, and gossiping and unruly. I'm telling you, I'm asking you to warn them. To, to, to see that when that stuff goes on, that, it, that the, it stops with you. And that you don't let it continue. He says, and then encourage the faint-hearted. That word faint-hearted there means timid or discouraged. Listen. Have you ever had someone come to you at a critical time and encourage you? When maybe you were down and you just needed a word of encouragement. Have you ever had that happen to you? You ever had someone come to you right when it looked like you were, I mean, you just, it was almost like hopeless, man. I mean, you just, you were really down and someone just came and gave a word to you or sent a card to you or made a phone call to you. Paul says, I'm I'm admonishing you, I'm asking you to encourage those who are discouraged, to reach out to those who you know are hurting. He says, and help the weak. Come alongside those who are weak. That word weak could also be translated as as immature. It could be translated as as someone who's who's maybe new in their walk with the Lord and and are falling to temptation. Maybe they're not as strong as, as a more mature follower of Jesus. And Paul is saying, listen, I'm asking you to come alongside them and strengthen them. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 15, verse 1, he says, the strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. He says, walk side by side with them. Nurture them. Help them in their time of weakness. And then he says this, he says, and be patient with them all. James tells us there's something powerful about patience. As a matter of fact, James says, let patience have its perfect work in us so that we can be complete, whole, and entire, not lacking anything. That's the power of patience. And so Paul instructs us here, he says, says, don't just be patient with those in the body of Christ. He says, I want you to be patient, to have patience with everyone. I would even say this, especially those outside the body of Christ. Now watch this. Then he says in verse 15, he says, See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good. In other words, be kind to one another and to everyone. And then I love what he says in Romans chapter 12, verses 17 and 18. He says, Repay no one evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And if possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with everyone. You know, I meet with a, with a group of men on Wednesday mornings. And uh, 
And uh, last Wednesday, one of the guys said he was driving down the road and just minding his own business. And somebody just cut in front of him and cut him off, almost ran him in the ditch. And he said, what I did was I sped up to get beside him. And I went to put my hand up in an unfriendly gesture, if you know what I mean. He says, but when my hand went up, he said, all I could do was wave. <laughs> and I thought when I was studying this passage of Scripture, what would that have looked like if all the guys in the room said, man, if I was you, I would have just given him that. Man, you should have ran him off the road. What would that have looked like? See, that's what Paul is talking about here. He says, listen, he says, don't, don't be overcome with evil. Overcome evil with good. Don't render evil for evil. Instead, as you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, allow the power, the transforming power of Jesus to change you so that when you're in that time where your flesh would normally take over, the Spirit of God takes over and the, and the, and the one-finger gesture becomes a wave. Y'all feeling me on that? Mm-hmm. Ministered to some of y'all out there, didn't I, just then? Don't, don't render evil for evil. That's what Paul is saying. Don't retaliate with the motive of getting back at someone. That's what he's saying. Now, I'm not telling you, don't hear me say, not to stand up for what's right. Because I believe we should all stand up for what's right. What I am saying is don't let your motive for standing up be retaliation against that person. Okay? So, the second key to a vibrant church is that we are to strengthen each other in our time of need. The third is that we stay close to God and other followers of Christ. Listen to what Paul says here in verse 16. And following, he says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of Christ Jesus for you. Rejoice always. In other words, be filled with joy. I love what, what Philippians says in Philippians chapter 4 when Paul writes, he says, rejoice always. And listen, and again I say rejoice. See, Paul is saying always have joy. And how many of you know that joy is different from happiness? Happiness is circumstantial. It depends on what's happening now. Joy, joy is based on, on the knowledge that you are a blood-bought, bonafide son or daughter of Jesus Christ, that your salvation is secure, that no matter what you go through, he's promised to be with you always to the very end of your situation so that no matter what you're going through, you can still have that assurance, and that should bring us joy. And Paul says, pray always. In other words, never stop praying. Now, let me be clear on that, too. That doesn't mean that you have to walk around all the time praying. Right? It doesn't mean you have to walk around. 
No, here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, be mindful of inviting, the, inviting God into, into your, your, uh, your life every single day. Be conscious of waking up in the morning. And the first thing that you do in the morning is say, Lord, here's another day. I need you more today than I did yesterday. And I know I'll need you twice as much tomorrow. I'm asking you to be part of my day. And then to have a God consciousness all day long where there's a communication between you and God taking place. No matter what's going on, you've got that communication going on in your heart and in your mind. That's what Paul is talking about. He says, never stop. He says, always give thanks for everything. Notice he says, he says, I mean, in everything. Notice he says, uh, in everything give thanks, not for everything give thanks. Because I can tell you, I've, I've encountered some things that I'm not thankful for. How many of you know what I mean? I've encountered some things in life, man. I'm like, God, why would you allow me to go through this? And I'm really not thankful for that thing right now. But here's what I learned. I learned that the closer I press into relationship and intimacy with my Savior, the more reasons I have to give thanks in those times where I'm being tried. The more I understand what it means to have joy in the midst of the storm. The more I want to have that open one-on-one communication in my up relationship with the Father. Because the more I press into intimacy with him, the more intimate I want to be with him. Let me tell you something. You will spend time cultivating the relationships that you care about the most, won't you? And Paul is saying, listen, relationship with God depends on constant communication. So always keep that communication going. And I'd say this, the closer you get to God, the more reasons you'll find to be joyful and prayerful and thankful. So the third key as we practice these things individually as, and as a church, the third key to, to a vibrant church is to stay close to God and to other followers of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, you've heard me say this before. I'm going to say it again. We were not designed to walk this life alone. Sure got quiet in this sanctified church. Listen, we were not designed to walk this life alone. If you tried it, how's that working for you? So, so part of having, having a balanced relationship with God is to have a balanced relationship with other followers of Jesus Christ that can also speak into your life in, in those times of need and crisis. The fourth and final key is to stay in tune with the Holy Spirit. Paul says, don't quench the Spirit, verse, 20, verse 19 and 20. He says, do not quench the Spirit and do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Don't quench the Spirit. Don't don't." Stifle the spirit. And here's what that means. 
as we get to know the voice of the Holy Spirit, he begins to speak to us. Because remember, the Holy Spirit is the mighty counselor. He's our guide. The Bible says when he comes, he'll lead us and guide us into all truth. Right? And so as the Holy Spirit is leading us, to, to quench the Spirit means to not follow his lead. It means to hear his voice and decide, nah, that's not for me. It means that he's, he's talking to you and telling you, you know what, I really want you to apply your life in this area of ministry. And you say, ah, you know, that's not for me. So-and-so can do it better. I really want you to press into relationship, that broken relationship that I've been asking you to mend. And you go, nah, that person will survive. Don't quench the Holy Spirit when he's speaking to you. Don't ignore what he's saying. Press into what he's saying and what he's asking you to do. Don't quench or stifle the Holy Spirit. Despise, don't despise prophecy. I couldn't wait to get to this one. Here's what it means. Don't shun, don't disregard the prophetic. Don't disregard it. Don't think that that gift in the body has ceased because it has not. God has given me a prophetic gift. The gift of prophecy is still alive. He says, don't shun it, but watch this now. <laughs> he says, test the spirit. Test it. Hold on to what's good. Kick the rest of it to the curb. Okay, let me say it a different way. So, so what Paul is saying is be careful of people that will come to you in the name of Jesus and give you a prophecy. Right? Be careful of people who want to prophesy to you of something that they already know about you. They heard something, so they come in the back door and say, you know, the Lord told me something about you today. No, the Lord didn't tell you. You already knew that. Listen, if I'm driving in your, if I'm riding in your car with you, and I see, I see the, the gas gauge go to empty, and I hear that ding, the light. Listen, I'm not a genius. I don't hear from God. I haven't got a revelation if I lead over to you and say, hey, man, the Lord said, thus said the Lord, if you don't pull over to a gas station. Here are several ways that you can understand if the prophetic is really alive and it's applicable to you. The first, it must line up with the word of God. It has to line up with this word. Tested against that. The second thing the Bible says is that our spirit will bear witness one with another. You ever have somebody speak a word of prophecy to you, tell you that God said something to you and it resonates with you immediately? I have. 
Y'all know I was born and raised in a church, man. I, I spent time in the holiness church. Everybody had a word from God. And some of the ones, some of the people, they were prophesying, but others were prophesying. See, so, so you have to test that thing. My wife and I, about 10 years ago, let me back up. There are two forms of prophecy, family. There's, there's foretelling and there's foretelling. Foretelling is, 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 is the Lord speaking to you and giving revelation and the ability to, to say what God is saying about something. Foretelling. Something that's going to happen. Then there's foretelling. There's, there's what's going on in your life right now that has been revealed to, to you or to someone by God for you. My wife and I had, had a profound experience. Went down to Tucson, Arizona to a, wor- a worship summit. We'd been wrestling with some things in the church, you know. God, what, what's our next move? What do you want us to do? This was like 10 years ago, right? So we're there at this worship summit, and this, this individual had been praying over the entire summit for three days. On the third day, he was calling people down one at a time, and he called my wife down, and he called me down at the same time. And when he opened his mouth to speak, he didn't get two sentences out of his mouth before I realized this has to be God. Has to be. Because verbatim, this man was saying, you know, the Lord told me to tell you this. And it was an answer to a question that I had asked the night before to my wife. Nobody in the room but her and I. And the Lord told me to tell you this. And it was another question that I had asked God specifically. Had to come from him. Nobody else knew. Oh, and by the way, the Lord told me to tell you this. I'm not, listen, I'm, I'm just telling you what the Lord says. I'm, I'm just a messenger here, he said. Boom! One after another after another for about 15 minutes. Some was foretelling what was going on in my life. Some was foretelling what was going to happen that is still being revealed today, I'm telling you. That's how you know. And Paul says, test prophecy. Test it. Hold on to what's good. John tells us in 1 John, he says, don't believe every spirit, beloved. Test the spirits to see whether they be of God because there are false prophets in the world. Lee, you can bring your team up. And then finally, he says, I want you to steer clear of every form of evil. Seems like Paul is writing to the church today because really what Paul was writing about there was was any form of immorality, and it was rampant around the region of Thessalonica. And Paul was saying, listen, I want you to stay away from anything that can even appear to be evil. Two reasons. One, it can ensnare you and pull you in. But two, if you stay away from the things that appear to be evil, you will live your life differently than the world around you. You'll be different. You'll be unique. That's exactly what God has called us to be. 
Having a vibrant church is what God has called us to, family. He's called us to be a vibrant church. But it begins with us individually with, the, with the, the mindset of everything that I'm doing, I'm not doing for the church I'm not, or, or the local church. I'm not doing for the ministry. I'm not doing it for Pastor Greg. I'm doing it for the kingdom of God. That's the mindset. And so I want to challenge you to do two things this week. First, I want, you to, I want you to encourage someone this week. Pick up the phone. Take them to coffee. Go by their house. Do something good for them. Especially someone who's in your circle of influence that, 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 that God has placed on your heart. You haven't reached out to them yet. Don't let this week go by without reaching out to them. That's the first. The second thing I'm asking you to do is in an attempt to get closer to God, be very, very intentional this week about carving out. Try to carve out 15 minutes at least three times this week where it's just you and God alone and you just have a conversation with Him. You will find that He's longing for intimacy with you. A chain is only as strong as its weakest link. And if everybody in the body of Christ has a kingdom mind and a kingdom focus, every link will be strong. And then what is impossible for us, church family? Nothing. Let's pray. Father, I love you. Thank you for your word. Psalmist says, your word I've hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. And that's true. But, Lord, I'm asking that we hide your word deep in our heart and let it challenge us and provoke us to be of one mind, one purpose, one heart, one collective, one family with one goal in mind. And that is to further and to advance your kingdom in this earth and may it begin with us that's what having a vibrant church family looks like we pray those things in Christ's name Amen